An ancient Greek philosopher once said, you can't step into the same river twice. And the point he was making is the only constant is change. You know what else is constant? The fear of change. We don't like when things change. The fear of change is called metathesiophobia. It's a phobia that causes people to avoid changing their circumstances due to being extremely afraid of the unknown. We don't like when a boss asks us to change the way we do things. I've been doing it this way for years. Now you're asking me to do it with my other hand. We don't like it when a new pastor comes into a church and starts changing programs and changing the way things are done. I've been that new guy and I've heard over and over again, that is not the way we do it here. We struggle with learning new jobs, moving to new communities. Or when God asks us to, to uproot our lives and to do something completely different, change can cause anxiety. The only constant is change, and that really stresses us out. If you're married, probably one of you is like, well, change. The other one, I don't like change. It's not my favorite thing in the world. The only constant is change. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has talked about the kingdom of God and its ethic found in the Beatitudes, which we've been studying. Peacefulness, gentleness, humility. And he then goes and tells us to live out those virtues in the world. He says, go be salt. Go be agents of redemptive, uh, redemption and, and, and light. Be light in this, in this dark world. And he's speaking in this new and profound way that the disciples had probably never heard before. And so you wonder, man, this sounds very different from the things that we were brought up on. You, you wonder if it caused some of them anxiety. We know it caused certain people a lot of anxiety. It stressed a lot of people out. This new way of speaking, this new way of relating to God and the world, this seems very different from what we've been brought up on. You see, the disciples who Jesus is speaking to now, their lives had been governed by the law and the prophets. Certain regulations and, and promises and blessings. Their, their life centered around Torah obedience. The law that God had laid out in the Torah. What does it look like for us to be God's people? What does it look like for us to be a unique people on this earth? And there's all these laws and regulations. Their life centered around the sacrificial system, the temple, the teaching of, of the prophets, the centrality of, of Israel all of which are found in what we call the Old Testament. Does Jesus, with his new teaching, uproot all of these things? Does Jesus intend to do away with these things that have governed their being for generations? Jesus anticipates this concern, and he responds in Matthew 5, 17. Open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Please have God's word in front of you. Jesus speaks to this issue in a way that's going to help us understand and apply this often confusing and, and on the surface contradictory book 
we call the Old Testament that many of us as Christians just stay away from because it makes us uncomfortable. It's weird, and I don't know what to do with it. That's where Jesus comes in and, and talks about it. Look at 517. This is right after the Beatitudes. This is right after he has called them to be salt and light. I, I wonder if their stress meter's going up. What does this mean? And he says this, do not think I have come to abolish the law and prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. If you have your own Bible, or notes, you can, that word fulfill, underline, circle, write it out. He's not come to destroy or do value or to devalue the law and the prophets, the Old Testament. He says here he has come to fulfill it. The term fulfill, plero, in Greek, it has the idea here of something being brought to its intended goal. Something being brought to its intended goal. Now, I want to take some time it's not going to be enough time. <laughs> I'm going to take some time to discuss and unpack and look at a few ways that Jesus fulfills the law and the prophets, the Old Testament. What does Jesus mean when he says, I've come to fulfill the law and the prophets? Well, number one, Jesus fulfilled direct prophecy. Peyton, are you doing the slides back there? Thank you. Awesome. Jesus fulfilled direct prophecy. There are 574 verses where prophets predicted the coming of a personal Messiah. Micah 5.2, he'd be born in Bethlehem of Judah. Isaiah 53.5, he would be pierced for our transgressions. These direct prophecies are fulfilled in Jesus. They said it was going to happen in the Old Testament and in it happens through Christ Jesus. Jesus also fills indirect prophecies. There are people, events in the Old Testament that foreshadow and refer to a future Savior. We talked a lot about this in our Jesus in the Old Testament series. The Passover lamb. Israel is in Egypt and, you know, oh, Pharaoh, let my people go. Ooh. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and, and he says, if you don't let my people go, God ultimately said, if you don't let my people go, your firstborn will die. And then God tells Israel to take a lamb and, and, and slaughter it and put its blood over your doorpost. And, and death will pass over your household. That blood will cover you. God will see the blood and pass over. Your firstborns will be safe. This event points to a future fulfillment in Christ, who Paul calls our Passover lamb, the one whose blood covers our sins. Jesus fulfilled the sacrificial system. This is the third one. He fulfilled the sacrificial system with Israel the forgiveness of sins happened through sacrifice. You sin, the blood of an animal must be shed. This, this system was temporary. It was meant to foreshadow what was to come. This system was meant to point people to a greater once and for all sacrifice. John the Baptist, upon seeing Jesus, says, here's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. 
Jesus fulfilled the blood. He also fulfilled the food and purity laws. Prohibitions against pork, shellfish, interwoven clothes. Purity laws by which Israel could show themselves to be God's people and distinct from other nations. How many of you have heard this argument before? Christians, uh, they get to decide what they want to obey in the Bible. You know, they say, this is wrong, but you eat shellfish. You eat, you eat bacon. You, you wear interwoven clothes. Have you ever heard that argument before? It's a terrible argument because it's really just showing somebody's ignorance of God's redemptive history and how Scripture works and how what Jesus has done fulfills those purity laws. Number one, Jesus has come, and through his death and resurrection, through his blood covering our sins, he has made us clean. He has made us clean. Furthermore, a lot of these laws were intended to separate Israel from other nations. Now God's kingdom is made up of all nations. God's people are not divided by political or or ethnic lines. God's people come from all nations, all races, all tongues. It's why Jesus can say in in the New Testament, it's not what goes into somebody's mouth, that makes them clean or unclean. It's, it's what comes out of their heart and then out of their mouth. That makes them clean or unclean. And Jesus has given us a new heart. Jesus fulfilled the ethical demands of the law in his life and teaching. Jesus was the only person who ever and will ever fulfill the entirety of the law. He was without sin. He obeyed the law. His life and ministry exemplified the law. In addition, Jesus provides to us the true interpretation of the law. In the coming weeks, as we work through the the Sermon on the Mount, we will see him give us a richer and deeper understanding of the law. He'll give us a richer and deeper understanding of, of God's demands for obedience on us, and and, and in many ways, a lot of these laws were misinterpreted. Jesus is going to clarify them in a richer way. He's going to say, you've heard it said. You've heard it said. You've heard it said. You've heard it said. And then he'll say, I tell you this. I tell you this. I tell you this. I tell you this. Jesus is saying, I am not here to destroy what you have known, but everything you've read or been taught in the Old Testament, they find their fulfillment in me. Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament in his life and teaching. Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament in his life and teaching. He wasn't uprooting it. He was fulfilling it. You know, I read this week the the gospel. The Old Testament is the gospel in bud. Think of a flower. It's in bud. The New Testament is the gospel in full bloom. The New Testament is is a sequel. You guys know that, right? It's Avatar 2 to to Avatar 1, or it's it's Empire Strikes Back to A New Hope, or uh, you can't understand the latter without the former. You can't fully understand the the richness and depth of the New Testament and Jesus' work for us 
his sinless life, what he taught, and what his death and resurrection mean for us if you don't have an understanding of the old. And what God, what God was doing, plot points, predictions, illustrations, types spoken of in the old, they reach their conclusion in the new through Christ. So we're to read the Old Testament. We're to, we're to be in the Old Testament. There, there's a pastor who a few years ago said, we need to unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament. It's too confusing. It's too archaic. A very famous pastor. It's too archaic. People today will think it's crazy. It's just weird. We, we can't do that. That's taking away much of how we see God and, and, and what he's doing throughout history. We need to read and cherish the Old Testament, but we need to read it always through Jesus-shaped glasses. We need to read it through the lens of Christ's work, his life, and his death and resurrection. Jesus says, I'm not here to abolish the Old Testament. I'm here to fulfill it. As a result, every part of the Old Testament has value down to the letter. Look at verse 18. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until it is all accomplished. The law and the prophets are important as long as we are on this earth and their importance, and their importance goes down to the smallest letter. Iota refers to the Hebrew letter Yod. Yod is the smallest letter in the Hebrew alphabet, will not pass away. Not one dot or stroke, it says here. In Hebrew, tiny strokes, dots, they actually differentiate letters from one another. These things will last, is what he's trying to say, down to the smallest little dot, the smallest little note. And knowing this, and knowing that these disciples will eventually become disciples, he says this, Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And a question comes up, what, what, what commands is, is Jesus talking about here? Most likely... It's the commands that we find in the Old Testament as they've been interpreted and fulfilled in Christ Jesus, which he's going to lay out in chapter 5 and 6 and 7 and in the Sermon on the Mount. It's the commands of God found all throughout his word, filtered through Jesus' life and teaching as the smallest letter is important, the least weighty of these commands are important to obey and teach. We can't pick and choose what commands we follow. I can't pick and choose what commands I teach. We have to teach them all. God's word is not a buffet. You know, I'm, I'm going to stick with steak and the fried chicken. Uh, why would anybody eat fruit and vegetables? It's not cable. Back in the day, you would pay for cable. You get 80 channels, maybe, and that's all you got. 
didn't matter if you like those channels or not. Nowadays, we get to pick and choose. You know, I like this show. You can even pick and choose just the shows you want to watch. I'm going to pay to watch this show. I'm going to pay to watch this show. I'm going to pay for this. I want this because I don't like this, but I do like this. And so I'm going to spend time with this and not spend time with that. We cannot pick and choose what commands we teach. We cannot pick and choose as God's people what commands we follow. All of God's word as fulfilled in Christ, is applicable to you and me. Down to the dot, the iota. The least of these commands is something that we must uphold. Jesus fulfilled the entire Old Testament and his life and teaching. And so if you set aside and teach others to set aside God's commands, you will be least in the kingdom and vice versa. Some say this is referring to our our present kingdom. Like if you fail to teach all of God's commands in this life, God is going to shame you. God is going to break you down. He's going to make you homeless. Some believe that this is talking about the future kingdom. Like if you teach the entirety of scripture, when, when Jesus comes and sets up his kingdom, I mean, you're probably going to be a a top-level manager, maybe a CEO or or something like that. I I am not dogmatic about what is going on here, but I think the point is this. On Judgment Day, we will come before God, and He will evaluate whether or not our life was molded by and we taught the entirety of Scripture. And not just the parts that were easy, not just the parts that we liked, not just the parts that were culturally popular or acceptable to teach. We have to hold to all of God's scripture and teach it. Here's a suggestion. Read the Old Testament. (laughs) Read the Old Testament. You're like, but I like Philippians. Philippians is like really easy to read. I like Mark. Mark. It's not even one of the long gospels. It's like 12 chapters long. It's like real fast paced. It's pretty, I mean, those books are good, man. And, and we want to be in those books, but, but we're also called to cherish and read all of God's word and learn to apply it to our lives through the lens of Christ Jesus. And as you do that, here, here are two questions that you need to ask yourself. And so if you're like, okay, Larry, I'm, I'm going to start reading Joshua. I'm going to start reading the Psalms. I'm going to start reading uh, First and Second Kings. I'm going to start reading these books that have a bearing on what God is going to ultimately do to give me a richer understanding of who Jesus Christ is and what he came to do. Here are two questions for you, and they're not going to be up here, but, but you, can, you can write these down. How do I understand and live out what I am reading in light of what Jesus and the apostles teach in the New Testament? How am I to to live out and understand what I'm reading in light of what Jesus and the apostles taught in the New Testament? Here's question number two. How do I understand and live out what I'm reading in light of what Jesus has done through his death and resurrection? How do I understand and live out what I'm reading in light of what Jesus has done through his death and resurrection? Jesus says, I'm not here to get rid of the old, I'm here to fulfill it. Therefore, follow and teach all these things. And he talks about many of these things. 
in, in the coming passages. Next week, Jesus is going to clarify and interpret a number of Old Testament passages. You, you've heard it said, do not murder. Well, what does that actually mean? How can we get in trouble misinterpreting that passage? You've heard it said, do not lust. What, is, what, what, is, what does that really mean? He's going he's to talk about that, but before he does that, he says something about righteousness that we need to understand before moving on. And it kind of ties what we've been talking about to where we're going. Look at verse 20. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. I'm going to read that again. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Scribes and, scribes and Pharisees? I got to be more righteous than the scribes and Pharisees? If you were an Israelite of that day, if, if you were a Jew, you, you know, the, the Pharisees were paragons of, of spirituality. They, they calculated that the law contained 248 mandates, 365 prohibitions, 613 commands total. And then they put laws around the laws to prevent them from breaking the original laws. So multiply that exponentially. So is, is Jesus saying then, that if the Pharisees, let's say the Pharisees succeeded in keeping 500 out of those 613 commands, that I have to, that I have to keep 501 of those commands to, to enter into the kingdom of heaven? And the answer is, is no. Christianity's righteousness differs from pharisaical righteousness and kind rather than degree. I'm going to say that one more time just so it makes sense. Christian righteousness, Christ-centered righteousness differs from pharisaical righteousness from, from kind. It's a different kind of righteousness than rather degree. We don't play the Pharisees game. We're playing a whole different game. The Pharisees saw the Old Testament and we're content with an external, formal, and heartless adherence to the law. Their righteousness was exterior, often a facade, meant to impress God and others. The disciples were to understand righteousness in a new way. Their righteousness was to be an inner righteousness, coming from a new heart, given to them by God. The new heart stirs up our desires, ambitions, and attitudes for things that please God. Jesus wants to make clear for you, for me, that we now approach God's commands not to be made right with God, but because we have been made right with God, because we have been given a new heart. And that new heart, by its very nature, desires to do what God calls us to do all throughout his word. The Pharisees focused on the external. Jesus' greater righteousness stems from the eternal. So here's the last part of our big idea. Jesus fulfills the entire Old Testament and his life and teaching while moving us to a deeper understanding of righteousness. And it's easy to bemoan or, oh, those Pharisees. 
they get it. They're, they're, they're really easy to kind of pick on and beat up and look down upon. They're Pharisees in their external pursuit of and focus on, on righteousness. I mean, I today, uh, I, I never do that. Man, man it's easy to, to fall into that Pharisaical mindset. It's easy to come to church. It's easy to come and, and worship with your hands raised. It's easy to serve in our, our kids and our nursery. It's easy to even go out and share your faith with a heart that is cold to God. God wants your heart. God wants your heart. That's why I gave you a new one. A new one that's not bent towards sin, but it's bent towards Him. God wants your heart. And then He wants righteousness to flow from that new heart. Jesus wants righteousness that is different, not not duplicitous. The world is full of, of believers Christian or not, who are duplicitous. Who come and do one thing, yet really internally something else entirely is is going on. So how's a heart of righteousness cultivated? And this is what I want to close on. How do we follow God's commands as fulfilled in Jesus in in the way that God, in a way that pleases God? how, How do we let this heart of righteousness flow from, from internally instead of just trying to put on righteousness externally for show. And it really starts with faith. It starts with faith. God performs a heart transplant on you when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. I'm, I don't, I'm not sure we really understand that. God has given you a new heart in Christ. In Ezekiel, he, he foretells of this. He says, I'll give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. And what God is saying here is, is he's given us a new heart that desires to do God's will. A heart of righteousness is a gift received through faith. And you may be like, well, I put my faith in Jesus, but, but, but I'm not sure I always want to do his will. I think there's a part of our job that we're called to cultivate that heart. And we cultivate that heart in prayer through being poor in spirit. We talked about that earlier. Going to God in prayer and saying, I can't do any of this without you. I can't pursue peaceableness and, and mercy and, and humility. Uh, you know, I'm going to pick fights, be selfish, be self-centered, yell at my kids all the time, uh, flip off people on the highway. Oops, that was Pastor Skibbery. Should have done that. Uh, I'm, you know, I, I can't do this. I can't follow Christ. I can't pursue righteousness without your spirit coming in and softening my hard heart. It's waking up every morning and saying, God, I need you. I need your grace. I need your mercy to do a work in my life. I think we're called to work out our salvation as God works and wills in us. It's God working and willing in us. 
and we have that confidence. But yet we're called to, we're called to cultivate that heart through prayer, through our posture before God. We're also to continually cultivate that through, through soaking our hearts in, in gospel truth. Am I continually putting before myself God's gospel truth? Am I continually in God's word? Do I put gospel truth in front of me when I'm, when I'm working my job? Is gospel truth the first thing I run to when, when things get tough or challenging? When I go to bed at night, do, do I let gospel truth shower over me by, by memorizing scripture? Do I talk about it at dinner with my family or when I, when I put my kids to bed? That, that I was once a sinner and now I'm a citizen of God's kingdom. I was once an outsider in rebellion who's been brought into relationship. I am now a child of God in Christ Jesus. I have been freed. Condemnation no longer has a hold on me. Shame shouldn't be a reality I live in because guess what? My sins have been taken care of. I am a, a child of God who's, who's meant to represent him, who's, who's meant to let his love in my life spill out onto others. Do, do, you, do you remind yourself of those things on a daily basis? Because I think if you do, I think if you allow the gospel and what it means for you, if you allow the gospel, the work of Jesus, to, to continually wash over our hearts, you're going to develop a desire to follow his commands found in Scripture from Genesis all the way to Revelation as they've been fulfilled in Christ. Amen? Let's pray.